All right. Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Ethan, and I will be giving the scripture reading uh, for today. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 5, uh, 21 to 26. If you have a Bible, uh, please follow along. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. <clears throat> but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. great to be here today. And I was just thinking the last time that as your pastor that I was in person speaking to you from God's word was February 23, 2020. It was uh, right before my wife and I went for two weeks to Taiwan and we returned and then that Sunday was the first Sunday we went online, so we didn't even get a chance to see anybody in person when we returned. And uh, then it's been a long ride since then, 17 months, pretty much to this day. Um, so praise God we're back and coming back. It's a process, and we're figuring out our steps as we go. But I want to welcome each and every one of you who are here in person and also online you know, praise God, we can still be the church no matter what circumstances and difficulties we face. Because many of our brothers and sisters face a lot more difficult circumstances than uh, a pandemic. Uh, but persecution and imprisonment and sickness and even death. Well, we continue our series called Heart Check. And if we could throw up that slide there, that would be wonderful. Uh, this series titled Heart Check, it focuses on our sinful habits uh, that we all struggle with and that pull us away from following Jesus as Lord. And the foundational problem with each of us is that our hearts deal with sinful pride. And this is the root of all our sinful habits. And so the first message two weeks ago, we focused on pride. And then last Sunday, Pastor Paul tackled our sinful habit of always making excuses, dodging responsibility, or whatever it was uh, that causes us to do those excuses. We looked at the, the Moses, that example from the old, in the Old Testament, and how he did that as well. Today, our focus is on anger, losing our temper. And uh, so before we jump into this, uh, let me pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, there was a college student who needed a 
two-hour course to fill his schedule this semester, and only one that he could find fit his schedule, and it was in wildlife zoology. Now, he had heard uh, things about it, so it gave him reservations. He heard the class was really tough, and the teacher, the professor, was kind of odd, but it was the only option for him, so he he registered and took it, uh, signed up. Then after one week into the class and after just one chapter into the text, the professor gave a test to the class and he handed out a piece of paper and the paper was divided into squares on the paper and all in each square was a carefully drawn set of bird legs. That's it. Uh, no, no body and no feet, just bird legs. And, and the... The student was sitting there looking at this test and he was just floored because he had no clue how to identify. They were supposed to identify what bird it was from the legs. And he just got angrier and angrier at how stupid, what kind of stupid test is this? And so finally he got to boiling point. He stood up and he stomped over to the teacher's desk and he threw the paper on the desk and he says, this is the stupidest exam and this is the dumbest course I've ever taken. And then the teacher looked up at him and said, Walt, young man, you just failed this test. And then he picked up the paper and he looked at, noticed that the student hadn't put his name on it yet. And so he says, young man, what is your name? And the guy just said, and picked up his pant legs and low showed him his bare legs and said, you identify me. You know, the guy's anger got, he lost it. He lost his temper. And anger is a part of each of our lives. Um, whether we want to admit it or not. You know, we may not think like we lose our temper, but we do at times in different ways. We either have the habit of losing our temper or expressing our anger very outwardly, or we repress our anger. We shove it inside. We repress it. Or we are collateral damage of other people's anger around us. So in any way, you and I experience anger in a very sinful way uh, from other people or ourselves. And some of us are quick to anger, get angry. You know, we lose our temper. And like I said, and others of us repress our anger. And here's some ways that might indicate to you and me if we are repressing our anger. I'm focusing on this because when we lose our temper, it's pretty obvious. But when we repress it, it's not so much. Uh, we may keep to our, ourselves so busy that we have no time to feel. You know, we just don't have time to contemplate or take a moment and think. Um, or we're very sarcastic in our words, in a way. And, and somebody once said that a sharp tongue just cuts its own throat. Um, we allow little things to bother us. We just, we get peaked really easy about stuff. Uh, we suffer, or we could suffer from a lot of muscle tension or fatigue. That might be a sign where we're repressing anger. Or we may have nervous habits like biting our fingernails or picking at our skin or something like that. Um, or we struggle with addictive behavior. Or we are passive aggressive. Or we may just have this vindictive spirit where we just say, I don't get mad, I get even. You know, that kind of thinking. Um, you know, all these may come from repressing our anger in some way. And they're not healthy and they will eventually damage our relationships that we have with others. Have you ever hurt someone close to you when you lashed out in anger in some way? Have you ever done that? 
in many ways, our anger reveals the state of our heart. And if I'm, for example, if I'm tired and stressed out about something, and then I, uh, May and I have, my wife May and I have a, a small disagreement, well, I may lash out at her in frustration and anger um, because I could make it say, oh, I'm tired or I'm stressed. But actually what it does is it shows that my heart is not right at that moment. And she doesn't deserve that. But I, I lash out at her. Um, but it in indicates that my heart's not right. And the words of our mouth come from the attitude of our hearts. And Jesus taught on this too in another place. In Matthew 15, 18, if we can go to the next slide. Oh, it might help if I turn it on. That's awesome. Yeah, green light means on, and boom. There we are. Okay, Matthew 15, 18 says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth, this is Jesus speaking, come from the heart, and these defile them. So in our text, Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26, Jesus taught that our heart attitude is super important because here Jesus takes the sixth commandment to another level. He brings it to the heart level. And it's at this level then, it's applied to us on our, into our hearts. And it's how we discover then, as he teaches us, how to deal with our anger in a way that we can then re help resolve conflicts. Not a guarantee, but at least we can try to take the steps to do so. So Jesus said in verses 21 and 22, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Yikes. No, do not murder. Now, this is the sixth commandment of the famous Ten Commandments that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus uh, 20, verse 13 is the sixth commandment. And so what this just means is anyone of us who takes another person's life intentionally is subject to God's judgment. And the same applies in our laws today in our society, right? And murder. Um, but Jesus then spoke with authority and said, after stating this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Now, who is Jesus to speak with this kind of authority when he said, but I say, but I tell you? You know, our text is part of Jesus' larger message, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, which goes from Matthew 5 all the way to the end of Matthew 7. And listen to how the people listening to this Sermon on the Mount responded to him when he finished We'll go jump to the end of Matthew 7. It says there, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And as we who follow Jesus know, he is Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords. He is the one who was in, uh, initially creating the universe 
by the power of God. And so that's why we believe he has the authority, but the people at that time didn't know all those things yet. And so they just acknowledged, wow, he's speaking with authority. So in Matthew, our text, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, Jesus taught how our habit of anger is sin and is judged just in the same level, in a sense, as murder. And that's pretty serious stuff. You know, getting angry can be like getting into a really powerful sports car and gunning the accelerator and taking off as fast as we can and enjoying how it's doing and then realizing that the brakes are not in order. That's like getting angry, losing our temper in that sense or repressing it. For example, uh, in the spring of 1894, there's this story of how the Baltimore Orioles at that time, uh, the baseball team, went to Boston to play. Uh, just a routine baseball game. It was during the season. It wasn't playoffs or anything. But what happened is that it was anything but routine. So the Orioles player, John McGraw, got in a fight with the Boston's third baseman. And you know what that happens if you've ever seen it, right? Then the both teams empty out of their dugouts, and they all join in in the fight, and that's what happened here. So the whole field is full of these baseball players starting to fight each other. And then it spread like wildfire to the stands, and the people started fighting each other of different, you know, the fans of each team. And then somebody set fire to one of the stands, and the, the whole baseball park ended up burning down. And then 107 other buildings in Boston also burned down because of that. I mean, we have all experienced that the damage that anger causes. And a lot of time, it's not just where we focused it. It has this spreading and rippling effect. Jesus said that sinful anger, the kind that leads to bitter words and bitter attitudes, is in its very nature, like murder. It's in its very nature like murder. It is murder committed in our heart. And the person with this kind of attitude in life faces everlasting punishment in hell. Now, the Apostle John stresses this point another way in 1 John 4.20. He says there, For anyone who does not love his brother... Whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And when we harbor anger toward our brother or another person endlessly, like this is an ongoing thing, then the truth is that we cannot love God. We, we are unable to. Jesus was speaking here about a habit of life, not a momentary, like, loss of control, but it's a, a habit, something that defines us and who we are as a person, and, and so something that goes really unresolved, we don't deal with. And this is serious. Now, to understand anger, we need to understand that anger is really actually a secondary emotion. Uh, and what I mean by that, it's typically we, you and I will experience something, uh, a primary emotion first, like fear or loss or sadness and like we would if someone we know died, so that's grief, you know, we feel that. And because these emotions create feelings of vulnerability 
or loss of control in our life, then they make us feel uncomfortable. And one way of attempting to deal with these kinds of feelings is by subconsciously shifting to anger. And for example, the stages of grief and loss. It's very common. There's like these five stages, or sometimes they say six, um, are the following. Denial, like I can't believe it happened. Then anger, so there it is. Then bargaining and depression. And then finally acceptance, if we go through this whole process of, of grief. See, the understanding, what's really important is understanding when we become angry, why am I so angry? Why am I angry? I mean, we might say, well, you made me angry, you know, or when you say that, I get so angry. But that person doesn't have that kind of control over us, really, right? No, it's generating from our heart. What is the real source of our anger? And our anger takes on many forms. For example, Jesus mentioned two ways that sinful anger is expressed in words, okay, in our text. So Jesus said, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. That's in the ESV. Now look at what the NIV brings out even more from the text. Uh, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And Jesus here mentions this word, Raka, in anger. That's actually in the text. Uh, it's one of those rare cases that the ESV, which is supposed to be more literal translation, didn't bring this out. <laughs> and the NIV, which is a more dynamic translation, uh, does bring it out. But it's very rare that that happens. Um, but Jesus here mentions this word, and raka has its roots in the Aramaic language, which is similar related to Hebrew, and probably the common language that Jesus spoke at that time period is the Aramaic, um, and Greek was also spoken too. But, you know, the, its meaning really is like stupid person, uh, idiot, uh, good for nothing, that kind of meaning. But in that culture, it conveyed a much more significant insult than it would in today's culture uh, in our time today and here in America. Uh, it would be much more unacceptable in that culture. Um, Name-calling was a serious matter in biblical times because names were held in high esteem. So if you called somebody a name, that was serious stuff. Where today it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, we just brush it off. Uh, because names today, like labels, we can just change our name, right? Or we can, whatever. But in those days, it didn't happen. It was more about the character of a person. And, and what's more serious about the term raka than its meaning is the tone in which it was said. And what would be similar today is our sarcasm, right? We could say yes, right, in answer to a question. Or we could say yes, you know, that's more sarcastic, Right? So there's a lot of meaning in the tone of voice that we use. And it's been said that 90% of the friction of daily life is caused by the tone of our voice, the way we say things. Um, Jesus also mentioned that we will face judgment when we say in anger to someone, you fool. Now the Greek word here is moros. And the only reason I bring this up is because it's where we get the word moron, right? <laughs> it's related to that but it implies much more than just fool, the translation that's here. 
And I'm going to quote from this uh, William Barclay. He's a commentator on the book of Matthew. He said there, to call a man moros was not to criticize his mental ability. It was to cast questions on his moral character. It was to take his name and reputation from him and to brand him as a loose living and immoral person. So it's, it's the criticism of the person's character. So raka and saying, you fool, it, are words coming from the heart. And these two ways are, are ways that we may express our anger as Jesus points to. Now another common form of anger that we probably have experienced or maybe we do ourselves is withdrawal. We just, we clam up. It's kind of like you could think of like a turtle, <laughs> you know, just pull into your shell. Uh, some of us, when we get really angry, we just leave. Like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm going to leave, right? And maybe I know some couples, if they get angry, they don't talk to each other for days. You know, they don't, they, until somebody breaks the ice. Uh, we withdraw from the person who angers us, and we stop all communication. We avoid the other person like the plague that's causing us to be angry, we, we think. And our anger seems to go away then, after time, until something comes up again that brings us back to that moment. And it seems like we even get more angry than we were before. It just like brings it all up again. And it's more powerful than it was before. It's kind of like this story of the, that was written in this article in 1994. The title of the article was, Wars, Lethal Leftovers, Threaten Europeans. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's all over the world, the issue of landmines that are then forgotten about, bombs from wars. Well, the Associated Press reporter Christopher Burns writes uh, that the bombs of World War II are still killing people in Europe. They turn up and sometimes blow up at construction sites and fishing nets or on beaches 50 years, this is in 1994 now, 50 years after the guns have fallen silent. Hundreds of tons of explosives are recovered every year in France alone. Thirteen old bombs exploded in France last year, so that would have been 1993, killing 12 people and wounding 11, the Interior Ministry said. I've lost two of my colleagues, says Yvonne Beauvais, who heads a government team in the Champagne-Ardennes region that diffuses explosives from both World War I and World War II. Now, that's a long time ago. Unexploded bombs become more dangerous, he says here, with time. With the corrosion inside, the weapon becomes more unstable. The detonator can be exposed. What is true of these lingering bombs is true of repressed anger. When we and I stuff it, when we withdraw, it just, it's still there. And it's going to explode in an unexpected time and cause even more damage, potentially. Another form of anger that anger takes is to go on the attack. Now, this is one that we've all experienced or maybe we've expressed, and that is to go on the attack. An example of this is like the story of this guy, Ralph, okay? He was awoken at night, and with this, like, sound like some kind of, like, bad air conditioner was on the top of his house just rattling away. And so he gets up, and he's still in his, like, you know, shorts and pajamas or whatever he was wearing. And he goes out to his backyard to see what was going on on the top of his house. And there's this woodpecker on his TV antenna at that time and just hammering the, his brains out on the metal pole. Just, right? And so he, he's so upset because he's woken up in the middle of the night. So he takes this rock, and he 
whips it up at the woodpecker. And of course, he misses because, you know, he's half asleep or whatever. And the rock goes over the house and he hears this crash as the rock hits his car in his driveway in the front of the house. And he's so upset at that that he kicks the dirt and he's too late to realize that he's not wearing any sandals or shoes. He's got his bare feet and and he, he breaks his toe. You see, uncontrolled anger, as Ralph learned, can sometimes just cause us more damage if we don't deal with it. When we go on the attack out of anger, we only hurt those around us and ourselves. Uh, Many hurtful words we speak are when we get angry and we go on the attack, the lash out, and this does not honor the Lord Christ who we follow. Anger also then takes on the form of selfishness, which is the root of a lot of things, of pride like we talked about in the first week. Thinking of ourselves first and not considering the other person's uh, perspective and situation. And let's face the truth. Most of the time that you and I get angry, it's in response to either an insult we've received or a put-down or disrespect or being rejected when we think we should have been accepted. Sometimes we hold on and even cherish these angry feelings toward other people or situations because we think they deserve the way we feel toward them. They deserve this. And the, the truth is that we are really the victims of our anger when we hold on to it like that and lash out. We are no longer able to worship God when we're in this state of mind. We're no longer able to pray with power, no longer able to see clearly or think freely in the power of Christ. Unwilling and now, in a sense, unable to speak the truth and love to this brother or sister because we're so caught up in our anger. It's a trap that many of us, including myself, is dealing with. I was even driving to church today dealing with something that I was angry about. And I was talking it through with May. And, you know, and I'm just thinking, yeah, I'm, you know, thank you, Lord, for bringing this up. I'm preaching this. And because I was practicing this morning, and after I practiced, the Lord brought this up into my mind. And I was angry. And so I was dealing with this issue. Uh, we all fall into this trap. And when we hold on to our anger, it's selfish. It's self-serving. But we're the real victim of it. We don't think of the other person and why they may feel the way they did or what they did, the perspectives of what made them do what they did. Um, We don't think of that. We're just thinking of ourselves. We don't try to look at it from their point of view because we are focused on ourselves only. We're selfish. And thankfully, Jesus gives us some further instructions in our text on how to deal with our anger. So let's go on and look at that. So verses 23 and 24. Focus on how he says here to initiate reconciliation. Right? When we take the first step to make it right, this is what he's imploring us to do. Initiate reconciliation. So he says there, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So we here are to take the initiative to reconcile to deal with our anger. And notice here Jesus said, I'll highlight it for you. Whoops. Oh yeah, there's that. Initiate reconciliation. 
I'm ahead of my slides. And he says here, and there remember that your brother has something against you. See, when we worship the Lord, which is hopefully all the time, but when we're in a, maybe a formal setting of worship and we're going to offer something and we realize, oh wait, this person has something against me. Notice it's not something we have against them. It's something they have a problem with us. And we are to then take initiative to deal with that. We are to be seeking reconciliation with this person. Now, it take, may take more than one meeting uh, to do this. It's a process often, but we are not to give up in this process. We have patience and persistence in this. And now the same applies to us if our sister and brother has something against uh, us because of what we have done to them. Same applies. We are still to take initiative. And uh, Jesus taught on this in Matthew 18, 15. It's the same command to us in this case. He says there, if your brother or sin, if, I mean, I'm sorry, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So I'm getting this a little mixed up. So either if we have done wrong to someone else or they have done wrong to us, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, you are the one in my mind, that need to initiate reconciliation, period. As a follower of Jesus, this is what he is commanding us to do, both in Matthew 18 and also in our text in Matthew 5, 24. We are to go to our brother and sister. They have some problem with us, or we have some problem with them because of what they did to us. It's our responsibility to make the first move in resolving this conflict that's generating anger in us it's our responsibility, and it doesn't matter who's done the wrong. So when anger and conflict are then resolved and relationship is restored, there is this warmth and love that is restored, and it's sweet in the name of Christ. And God will give us the strength and courage to, do these, to take the initiative, to make that first step. Because oftentimes, you know, I don't know how many times I've said in my life, like, I'm not going to go to them, man. They're the ones who caused it they, they need to say you know come to me and ask for forgiveness right? but jesus is saying no we are to go and try to bring reconciliation at first what separates followers of jesus from others who don't follow jesus isn't that we don't do anything wrong or that we don't ever get angry but it's that we try to make things right because we have the divine spirit of god within us that's what separates us so if we're we are angry, we are to initiate reconciliation. And the next point Jesus makes is that we deal with it quickly, very quickly. Um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So when we are angry with someone or they are angry with us and there's this conflict, we are to deal with it as quickly as possible to seek reconciliation. Do not avoid it. Do not ignore it. Do not repress it. But deal with it. And Jesus makes the point that if we don't deal with it quickly, then the result might be a lot worse than it would have been in the, if we dealt. It did in the beginning. You know, we've all had trouble, I think, sitting in traffic in New Jersey, right? And sometimes uh, the way people drive, get, I know they get me upset, up too, I get angry, 
Um, and, you know, I got to ask, why? Why am I so angry about this, right? But sometimes people respond in ways that are not very good in their anger on the road. And there's a story about this one young lady who lived in near Washington, D.C. area, and there's a lot of traffic in there, too, uh, from, like, suburban Maryland to going into D.C. and likewise, uh, similar to New York City. Well, this young woman was in a rush, and she cut off this guy and went into the stream of traffic, and the guy just barely missed her as he slammed on his brakes, missed her by inches, and he was furious. And wouldn't you know, the traffic then, it was in a, like the city streets, uh, came to a red light and everything stopped. And so this guy jumped out of his car and he was stomping over to the, this woman's car and he was going to lay into her and let her have it. And she saw him coming. So you know what she did? She jumped out of her car and with a big smile on her face, ran over to him, and before he could say anything, she hugged him tightly and gave him a big kiss right on his lips. And then she went back into her car and drove away and left this guy standing there, confused, kind of embarrassed, and definitely not any angry anymore. His anger was gone. <laughs> she diffused the situation. And, and her response to his anger was immediate. Dealt with it quickly, and she diffused it. And this is similar to the wisdom we read in Proverbs 15.1. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A tight hug and a kiss on the lips would turn away wrath. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Well, the sooner we deal with our anger, the better it will go. This is what Jesus says is deal with this conflict quickly. It doesn't mean that it's going to be resolved quickly. Definitely, it's going to be different in every situation, but take action and deal with it quickly, you know, otherwise it'll grow to something worse. This, there's this urgency here to deal with it before it gets worse. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 emphasizes too. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Can you think of someone right now with which you are angry? You may not feel like, like you're simmering now, but whenever this issue comes up with them, you just boil. You're like, Ugh. Is there someone like that that comes to mind? Maybe it's one of your parents. Or parents, maybe it's one of your kids. <laughs> or maybe it's somebody you work with. Or maybe someone who used to be your friend former friend that you just never resolved and left that friendship in anger. Whoever it may be. It could be someone in the, our church community. You know, Jesus taught that the way to deal with our anger is to initiate reconciliation and to deal with it quickly. It didn't, he didn't guarantee that it would be resolved quickly, but this is our responsibility as a follower of Christ, Jesus, and then we trust that his spirit is working in this situation to transform us and also transform the person we're, work, we're trying to resolve it with. So can you think of someone with, with which you're angry today? Do not, if you can think of someone right now, try not to let the sun go down today without taking some initial step toward reconciliation with this person. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for your word, but it is so challenging to us because we know that we can only do these 
steps of what you call us to do in the power of your spirit that indwells us through faith and trust in you. And we know that our obedience to your commands is just evidence of your spirit within us. Lord, we pray that if there be a place in our heart that, is, that we have not surrendered over to you as Lord, and this being where anger surrounds this issue, uh, Lord, reveal that to us today, right now, in the power of your Spirit, and help us to confess and understand what are the sources of our anger. Maybe it is a loss of someone we dearly loved that we've never step through the process of grieving that loss. Or it could have been the loss of a job or a loss of a relationship. Maybe it's some injustice that we've experienced, Lord, and we just feel so angry, and rightly so, in the righteous anger against the injustice, but then it spreads to other things in our life, and our sinfulness gets intertwined with that. Lord, we pray for your spirit to reveal and unveil in our hearts where we need to surrender to you again and experience your love and grace and truth so that we can forgive as you have forgiven us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.